0: Thank you. That's what a doctor says when he, they, he or she looks out on their waiting room. Patience. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day, for the opportunity for us to gather together. We thank you again for... All of the gifts that you provide for us, especially the spiritual gifts For our saviour, for your spirit, for our salvation and for your word We thank you likewise for the blessing of brothers and sisters and the fellowship of the church We ask now that you would be pleased to speak to us through your word By your spirit And that you might knit us together in a close fellowship That we might encourage each other and grow to be passionate followers of the Lord Jesus. We ask and pray in his name. And everybody said, Amen. This passage is, of course, very famous and very common. And at this time of the year, we repeat and retell these stories, and that's appropriate as well. Uh, God has spoken to John by sending the angel Gabriel to him in the temple. And in the beginning of Luke chapter 1, we have that story told to us. And the result of that is his wife Elizabeth, in her senior years, becomes pregnant through the normal husband-wife relationship. So it's it's a miracle, but it's not unique. The birth that we're going to look at this morning is in fact unique there are many births in the uh, in the bible which are miraculous starting with abraham and sarah and hannah with the birth of her son samuel they're miraculous and there are others but they're not unique it's god enabling a man and a woman to conceive a child together but with jesus there is no earthly father that's mum and god that's unique And God has spoken after 400 years of silence. Since the days of Malachi, God has now broken his silence, sent an angel to speak to his people. And he didn't speak to all of the people. He spoke to one man. And then the crowd outside waiting for him would have derived from his hand signals and something else that something special has happened. Um, And then, of course, his wife Elizabeth would know that the angel Gabriel had come and perhaps close family friends... Uh, discovering her with her pregnancy and so on. It's, of course, confirmed by John's muteness, him not able to speak until the birth of the child. All of this is like an opening chess move. It's just God moving the pawns into place where he's about to make a very significant move for a checkmate. And in this story, we have... Do you have a a favourite Christmas story? Do you have a part of the story that you like more than others? Uh, I asked my wife that question. She said she likes the shepherd's story. Uh, A lot of us like that. I like this particular story as well. I'm not sure I have a favorite uh, ahead of others, but I like a lot of the Christmas stuff. So in terms of background, God has spoken. And God is about to introduce and do something that has been promising since the Garden of Eden. And it says in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which is pretty much a family secret because when she fell pregnant, she went into isolation. She went into hiding. So not many people knew about it until it was getting advanced. And here you have the angel Gabriel informing Mary who did not know about it. Anyway, in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to a backwater little town, Nazareth, which is never mentioned in the Old Testament, never mentioned surprisingly by the Jewish historian Josephus which has led some uh, unbelieving New Testament scholars, atheistic and liberal New Testament scholars, to conclude that Nazareth was not a real town. It was not, because it's never mentioned, which is of course nonsense because the New Testament is historically very accurate. And there has been now discovered one very uh, pre-BC reference to this very little town. I don't know how you think of Nazareth, but it's a very small community. It's on the the foothills and over the hill. There is a rather significant city being developed, a much bigger residential place called Sepphoris. It would be more like a city filled with Roman soldiers and Gentiles and tradespeople. and, And the guess is quite possible that Jesus and Joseph, his father, probably walked over that hill to work that they worked in Sepphoris and helped build it there while they're also working uh, in the very little village of Nazareth, which was unknown and not famous for anything, which is why Nathaniel says in John chapter one, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a backwater town um, filled with, if you like, undesirable people. But the amazing thing is God had selected this couple to be the bearer of the Messiah into glory so God sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth to this little town didn't go to Jerusalem didn't go to any other daughter of any other high priest or anybody else just went to here and the angel is sent to a virgin who was betrothed to be married to a man who was named Joseph a descendant of David the Mary's the virgin's name was Mary Mary was youthful We think she's somewhere between the age of 12 to 14. She's a young girl. But in those days, of course, things were different. Um, In those days, so she was biologically ready to carry her child. And in those days as well, socially and psychologically she would have been ready because the expectation was, and marriages were arranged, that that's what happened. She would have been illiterate. She would not have gone to school. She probably couldn't read. Though, of course, there were girls who could read because their parents taught them or others taught them. But the boys went to school. The girls were expected to stay home, do domestic duties, grow up, get married, have kids. That was the woman's path in life. And Mary was probably on that track as well. So she's young. She's certainly humble because that comes out in her prayer in the following paragraph that we didn't read this morning Um, and while I said that she was probably illiterate she had a good memory for scripture she had memorized the verses of scripture because when you read her prayer it's filled with about 15 different allusions to Old Testament references and texts she would have been a godly lady would have attended the synagogue and worshipped God attended the temple as she grew up and so on as well Um, so she's youthful, humble uneducated, living in Nazareth, so probably of the lower working classes. She was certainly very spiritual. Her heart is bent towards God and she's just on fire for God and that comes out both here in her response but also in her prayer. It comes out in her life. And these are rare. We have a girl in our church and she's about 14 and she's on fire for God. She's very passionate about uh, her relationship with Jesus and obeying him and adoring him. I don't know if you can think of the girl that I'm thinking of, but there's one that comes to my mind and I've just watched her grow over the years. And she's always had a heart for God. Well, Mary was a, must have been a little bit like that. She was young, she was spiritual, on fire for God. She was from the tribe of Judah. And if Luke chapter 3 gives us the genealogy of Mary and Mark gives Joseph then if Luke chapter 3 is a genealogy of Mary, then we know her father's name was H-E-L-I, Heli, Heli, however you want to pronounce it. But that would mean she was also a descendant of David. So Joseph and Mary are both of the line of David. And without getting into too much of a sidetrack, the Messiah certainly had to be of the line of David. And if you study Matthew chapter 1, it would have been impossible for the line of David to continue through Joseph. Because there's the mention of a king where God, back in the days of Jeremiah, had put a curse upon that part of the family where it said no person from this line will sit on the throne. So that eliminated Joseph effectively. But anyway, so Jesus is the legitimate Messiah, particularly through his mum. She is betrothed to Joseph. And Joseph is... Well, it doesn't tell us there we know that he is a carpenter or actually he's a craftsman he works with his hands he builds things and makes things whether it's of wood or of stone or of leather or whatever else he was a man who was a skilled tradee and he would have taught his son Jesus when Jesus was born and was growing up would have taught him that trade as well Joseph has and arranged marriage with Mary, this young girl. Their parents would have got together and contracts would have been drawn up and money exchanged and all of this sorts of thing. And the betrothal, which is not part of our culture, but it's like an engagement, except it's much more binding. The only way to get out of a betrothal is through death or divorce. So once you had become betrothed to a person, You were then in a 12 month preparation period. You had very little social contact and you had absolutely no physical contact. It was a time of preparation for the marriage. The husband in that time, to remind you, he would go off and he would build a house, a family house where he would then return on a day that's not announced but it's roughly around 12 months later so you know it's getting close but you don't know which day it's going to be the groom would come for his bride and there would be a celebration, a procession and as well as a, about a week celebration of the marriage which is a picture you see that Jesus uses for his second coming that he has gone now that we are betrothed to him and he is in heaven preparing a place for us and he is returning. And when he does, there will be a procession and there will be a celebration. It's a picture of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Anyway, that's what Joseph is doing. He's a tradee, He's away. He's uh, building the house and getting ready to come back. There is no physical contact with Mary. And the angel suddenly comes to visit her. Which would have been rather surprising. We're not told any details about Gabriel of what he looked like but when he turned up before to John he scared the heck out of him and when he turned up with Daniel 500 years before that he scared the heck out of him and certainly Mary gets the point of being afraid but her initial response is not that the angel went to her and said to her rejoice you who are highly favored the Lord is with you now in the Bible, that was read to us in the version, NIV version, in many versions, it'll, it's not rejoice. It's greetings, you who are highly favoured. But the word can be translated rejoice, and it seems to me to make better sense to translate it that way. So the angel suddenly turns up and tells Mary, rejoice, you who are highly favoured. And she's gone, what? Rejoice about what? As opposed to greetings, you who are highly favoured, um, the Lord is uh, with you. Uh, that's less troubling. Troubling is probably not the best way to say it. But she was greatly troubled. She's disturbed by it. She's questioning it. Of, what does this mean? Type feeling, response. And she's pondering the word. She's not put off by his appearance. This angel, who was about 10 foot tall, I imagine. This angel suddenly appears gives her this greeting rejoice you who are highly favored the Lord is with you and she's going hmm wonder what that means then there is also an element of trembling or of fear which kicks in but the text is written in such a way that her first concern is about what is this about what is going on and she wonders as she often does she stores things in her heart remember treasures them in her heart and ponders them later that's exactly what she's doing now and on this occasion what kind of a greeting is that now Gabrielle who was given the greeting is now going to give the message the angel says to her don't be afraid so some sort of fear was kicking in you have found favour with God she's a godly lady youthful, got a heart for God and God was going to pour his blessing out on her I should go back and just tell you this just for your own knowledge. In the Latin translation of that way back in the early centuries when it says greetings or rejoice you are highly favoured it's translated Hail Mary full of grace. Sound familiar? The introduction to the Catholic prayer. That's where it comes from. It's a mistranslation which in the 1800s was then taken to expand all sorts of misunderstandings about Mary that they misunderstood that Hail Mary, full of grace, that she was full of grace and the dispenser of grace. Well, it was that mistranslation that led to that misunderstanding. It's not Hail Mary, full of grace. It's Rejoice, Mary, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. And then this 14-year-old girl, thereabouts, you will conceive and you'll give birth to a son And you'll call him Jesus. The angel tells her what she is to call her son, and this is the first mention both of the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, and it's the very first time that it's very clearly enunciated to Mary and to the people. Up until then, it was a prophecy, there was an expectation outside biblical sources tell us that in the world at that time there was a growing sense that the messiah was coming and so for several decades now every jewish girl that was born and got married had an expectation that she might be the one to give birth to the messiah and actually it's going to be mary that she's the one god picked you'll conceive and give birth to a son and you'll call him jesus mary had enough biological knowledge to be aware she knows how babies come uh, and where they come from and the angels has said to her you're going to have a son and your name him Jesus which is full of theological meaning but how much of that she understood we don't know because Jesus was also a very common name back in those days It means savior deliverer it's a word which is filled with theological significance Then he goes on to give her this message which is again allusions to verses in the Old Testament that Mary would have heard said and sung in the synagogue for years. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The angel Gabriel is telling Mary in no uncertain terms. This is the fulfilment of the prophecies. Here comes the Messiah. Here comes the, for unto us a son is born, unto us a, a child is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. He's the ruler. He's the Lord, leader. He's the one who's going to come and rule. She would have understood that very clearly. He's going to rule for eternity. Mary's got a question. And it's not a question of doubt. It's a question based upon, okay, I believe that. I understand what you're saying, and I accept it. But how will that happen? Because she has enough knowledge to know, I've never had sexual relations with a man, so how can I conceive? How will this happen? I know it's going to happen. How's it gonna happen? So she's obviously thinking, and she does the right thing, she asks, the question so it's good for us to do similar things the angel then answers her gives her an explanation of what's going to happen and he says in very clear strong terms God the creator is going to do it the holy spirit will come on you the power of the most high will overshadow you so that the holy one to be born will be called the son of God God's going to do this there'll be no human male no father involved in this birth God the creator is going to take your seed, your egg and he is going to fertilize that in your womb and you will conceive which means of course that this child will have the appearance of the mother you know when we have kids and they look like mum or they look like dad or they look like a combination would meant Jesus would have looked like his mum interesting thought isn't it The Holy One to be born in you will be called the Son of God. The Spirit of God is going to do it miraculously. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 5 reminds us, Jesus coming into the world says, a body you have prepared for me. He's praising and adoring the Holy Spirit in Hebrews chapter 10. So the virgin birth is presented to us as a fact. It's not a myth. Even in the Quran, apparently, it talks about, and they believe, the virgin birth. and believe other things about Jesus, but they don't believe the essential ones. <clears throat> then the angel goes on to give a sign. The explanation is God's going to do it. He's going to do something special. You're the chosen one, and he's going to enable you to conceive the Messiah. Then he says, even Elizabeth, your relative that you don't know about, but she's now having a child in her old age and she's in her sixth month. She was unable to conceive and now she has. And then his final word to her is, for no word of God will ever fail. Nothing is impossible with God. And if you believe verse 37, then you won't have any trouble with this story at all. It's all about what God does in our world. God has spoken and God is about to act. Mary's response as a 14 year old girl, a heart for God, thinking about what will this mean for my reputation? What will people think? What will Joseph think? She says submissively, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Your way, Lord, your will. I'm available use me. And then the angel left her. It's an amazing response. Surely she would be her story would be questioned and not many people are going to believe it and certainly Joseph was in that category for a little while. The angel has indicated to go to Elizabeth and I don't have it here but in that part of it, the next paragraph or so, Mary leaves immediately and she goes to the hill country down south where Elizabeth has been in isolation. Um, and she goes to visit her. Why would Mary go to visit Elizabeth? Well, because who else is going to understand what Mary's going through? She's going to be able to say to Elizabeth, I've been visited by the angel Gabriel. And Elizabeth is going to say, so were we. My husband, John, had a visit from the angel Gabriel. She would understand, she could relate. And I am pregnant, but it's by God <coughs> And Elizabeth can go, I understand, because I am pregnant, and it was by a miracle of God. So Elizabeth was the one person at that time, certainly, who would be able to support and encourage and understand what this young girl was about to go through. And as soon as Mary finds Elizabeth, you remember the story as well that uh, Mary greets her. And as soon as Mary's voice is heard, the babe, John the Baptist, the babe in Mary's womb leaps for joy. We have a parallel to that, a very similar experience when uh, the wife is expecting and the husband comes home and when, you, when the baby hears the male voice that moves, it kicks, it does something, had that experience? No. Oh, well, pity you. The, I'll never forget the time we were on an t- end-of-year teacher's staff dinner and Rhonda was expecting our first son first child, it was Shane, and at the, she had this long gown on and it was summer, and we're sitting at the table and she's got the, her big tummy sticking out like this, and I don't know what it was, I don't know if it was his foot or his elbow, but he suddenly stuck it up so she's got this little pyramid sitting on top of her big tummy uh, don't worry about it um, that's what happens here that John the Baptist, Mary is, uh, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and the babe leaps for joy does something, somersaults or something in the womb. And Elizabeth, because she's filled with the Spirit, has some spiritual insight and understanding. Why is it that I am blessed with the mother of my Lord to visit me? Elizabeth is a very godly lady with an amazing spiritual insight. And of course, Mary stays with her. She's in her sixth month. And the Bible says that she stayed with her for three months. So do you think she left before the baby was born? I wouldn't think so. I think she would have stayed until the birth of John the Baptist and then she's returned home. Which means, of course, by the time she gets home, she's three, three and a half months pregnant. Nobody knows except Elizabeth at this point. Mary's response is what I want us to focus upon as we conclude this morning because what she does and how she does it are the examples for us. Just as... If you draw this sort of strange parallel, just as she had the Lord Jesus physically inside of her, so we have Jesus spiritually by his spirit inside of us. And what she did is parallel to what we should do as disciples. One, she was humble. She was not self-sufficient, but she was fully reliant upon God. So should we be. She was open to the word of God. And because she was open, she had a heart for God and wanted to be obedient to him, then she was blessed So will we be. She believed God's power. That God could do anything. And she believed it and accepted it. Certainly she asked an appropriate and a natural question. But she provides a model for all disciples who have Christ living in them. And of course ultimately she submits. She surrenders fully. We cannot experience the power of Christ in us without submission submission in our lives and total surrender to him which we've been speaking about now for the past two or three weeks I wonder this morning can you say like Mary I am the Lord's servant may it be with me as you have said I am the Lord's servant Lord what you say may that happen in my life that will certainly bring down God's presence God's power God's Pleasure and God's blessing into our lives. It's just like in the Lord's Prayer when we say, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth in me, around me, in my area. Your will be done as it is in heaven. Or the Gethsemane mindset of the Lord Jesus. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want, your will. That's the attitude of Mary, and that's to be our attitude as well come this Christmas. That's what I think the implications of all of this are for us being humble, open to God's word, believing God's power, submitting to Him, and walking in obedience. Simple story. Simple things to do, spiritually powerful. If you need prayer at the end of the service, then we're happy for you to come forward and we'll pray for you. Um, I should update you that uh, Kevin, who is an elder in this congregation, is away for the next seven, eight days on a family road trip. Pray for him. Pastor Charlie is continuing to be on sick leave and is um, having an MRI this Tuesday. So continue to pray for him. Uh, He'll stay on sick leave until we have the results of what's going on for him. So he's on the mend. Uh, I think he sent a text to many of you. He said, I'm not dying, which I told him was a lie. (laughs) We're all dying. But he's not dying immediately from this, unless I kill him. (laughs) Which won't happen. Let's pray. Oh, let's stand and pray. We'll finish our service. Father in heaven, we stand in your presence. Just like Gabriel said that he stands in the presence of God. And our desire, Lord, this morning is that we might be like Mary. Mary. Humble in heart and attitude, not relying on self, but relying on you, casting all of our cares onto you. We ask too, Lord, that you would help us give our hearts that give us hearts that are open to your word, to read it, to learn it, to memorize it, to obey it. Give us hearts, Lord, that believe in you, that nothing is impossible for you that whatever is whatever we are facing and that you can intervene you can change it or you can strengthen us to cope with it lord we want your will in each of our lives and so we wanted this morning to surrender to you lord here we are we are your servants may your will be done in our lives we ask and pray this in the name of jesus